Hello, everybody. Welcome back. This week is Pasha's Chukas, and we are going to begin learning the halachas of Refuah on Shabbos. This is part one. So there are four categories <clears throat> of sickness or ailments, injuries, each of which have a different halacha regarding their treatment on Shabbos. This past Sunday, we handed out a chart that gave a quick look at the four categories. So the four ga- categories are, number one, pikoach nefesh, the second is Sakanas Ever. The third is Chaylos She'enba Sakana. And the fourth is Mechosh. And translated respectively, they are life-threatening situation. That's Pikoch Nefesh. Danger to a limb. That's Sakanas Ever. Non-life-threatening sickness. That's Chaylos She'enba Sakana. And Mechosh means general ailments. Another kind of thing that hurts, but doesn't actually make you sick. This past Sunday, we discussed the halachas of Pikoch Nefesh what you're allowed to do, what you're obligated to do, how to get to the hospital, how to get home, when you need to employ a guy, when you don't have, shouldn't employ a guy, what to do in the hospital, and so on and so forth. We also dealt somewhat with the topic of Sakanas Ever, when there's a danger to a limb, and we'll clarify that again quickly. But mainly, we're gonna, now we're going to begin dealing with the halakhas of a regular chayla, regular sick person who is not in danger. The definition of sakanas ever means when a limb is at risk. Simply put, this means when there's a danger of actually losing a limb, chas It also includes when a limb's functionality will be compromised. If a person gets a cut in his hand and a nerve is cut and damaged, if it's not treated quickly, it can cause permanent limited movement. We talked about if a person gets a cut on the face and it needs stitches to prevent scarring, and that's also called sakanas ever, because the function of the face is to be pretty. And if it develops a scar, that's reducing its functionality. Another situation is when there's a threat of losing a tooth. This is uh, questionable, but also included in sakanas ever. <clears throat> so in all these cases, everything other then a molochot raisa is permitted. So one can certainly ask a non-Jew to do whatever is necessary. And you can even yourself do things which are asr on Shabbos, but as long as the prohibition is only a durabanan prohibition. So for example, it would be mutter to do a molochot with a shino. You could to do something, a, a real bona fide molochot, but you could do it with a shino. For example, you can carry something in a place without an eriv, in an unusual way, like in your sack. So let's say uh, that someone um, needs medication and if they don't get the medication quickly, it can cause permanent damage to an aver. There you would be able to carry it in your sack. We talked about this past Sunday about going out of the tchum, etc. So in these situations, it usually isn't imperative to act within minutes. And there's generally enough time to consult with a rub. And it's something you certainly should do if you are able in these situations because, as you can imagine, it's hard to judge what is a malacham in and what isn't, what would be in the category of a drabanan and what's not. So that's, unless, you know, if you're sure, you're sure. If you know, you know, that's fine. But otherwise, it's the best approach is, in this kind of situation, to consult with a rub. And as I said, generally, you, you do have the ability to do that. But that's the halacha of Sakana Sever. By Sakana Sever, anything other than a malacha de Raisa can be done. 
So before we begin to move on, before we move on to discuss the last two categories of non-life-threatening illness and, and other painful ailments, let's understand the Isser of healing on Shabbos. Chazal were concerned, being that a person's health is obviously so important to them and their loved ones, and there's a possibility that it would cause them to panic and bend or stretch the halachas of Shabbos in order to give some relief to themselves or the person who is sick. This is what is called shechika samamanim, grinding up ingredients, which in those days was the practical way to heal someone. Today, it's not really something we do, grind up ingredients. We're not even capable of doing it, but there are other ways that we would bend or possibly stretch the rules. There could be driving to a doctor, signing for a medication, and whatever other mulacha might be involved in obtaining relief. And Chazal were worried that if we allow people to do anything, if we allow people to get involved in healing, they would then start to lose, you know, distinction and do things that are even a malacha deraisa. So in any case, Chazal, as a result, prohibited all forms of refuah on Shabbos. Any kind of healing on Shabbos is prohibited. So even if the taking of a medication, swallowing a pill, or applying a remedy, it involves absolutely no malacha. You're not doing any malacha Shabbos. It's not any one of the 39 malachas. It's still prohibited. Simply the act of healing alone is prohibited because of this risk of get, getting carried away. It's a gezer drabana. So that means that taking medication is usher, as is any natural remedy. Regardless of how proven or effective it is, you can't take echinacea on Shabbos for a cold. Other forms of healing are usher as well. For example, one may not gargle vinegar or salt water for a sore throat, although they aren't medicines. So you can't heal yourself on Shabbos in any fashion which is clearly healing. Taking over-the-counter medications are the same. Even Tums are a problem on Shabbos if you take it because you have a heartburn. That having been said, there are certain dispensations and certain heterim that we will discuss which are applicable in certain limited situations. So moving on to Chayla She'em Sakana. What is a Chayla She'em Sakana? It means a sick person. How do we define a sick person? We define a sick as someone who needs to be in bed. Someone who needs to be in bed. Neufel lamita. Now, not everybody has the luxury to go to bed. But even though a person might be pushing themselves to be up and about because their family needs them or some other reason, if they feel sick enough that if they would only have the ability, they would be in bed and they know that that's where they belong, they are considered a chayla kalgufai. Your whole body is affected by weakness or sickness, and you belong in bed, and you're a chayla shayim b'sakana. Anything less than that, if a person is not that level of sick, if they're not that weak, if they aren't that affected by their illness, then they aren't a chayla shayim b'sakana. They're not a chayla, they're not sick. They have a meichosh, they have something bothering them. What's the importance of this status, that a person is sick, what difference does it make? So the importance is that for a person who is truly sick, Chazal relaxed the issue of medication slightly, meaning that as long as the whole issue is only that one is healing themselves, but there's no other iser doi, right? So certainly order a bun on this taking place, they permitted that for someone who is truly sick. So what that means is taking medication is allowed for someone that is truly sick. If someone has a headache so intense that it drives them to bed, you can take an aspirin or a Tylenol. But if someone just has an irksome headache but they can still function normally, 
it will be prohibited to take a Tylenol. That's the limit of what Chazal allowed for someone who is sick, to someone who is truly sick, they relaxed the medication part of this issue. They said, medication you can take. You're allowed to take medication if you're truly sick. But they said, you can't do any Yisrael Durabanan. There's no carrying in a place without an Eri or Mbukta or any Tchom or any of the Yisrael Durabanan, which we mentioned before, would be allowed for Sakana Sever, for someone whose limb are, limbs are threatened, but not for Ochol Hashem Sakana. You can be sick, sick, but the only dispensation Chazal gave was to take medication. That's allowed if a person is truly sick, but if he's just suffering, if he's in pain, that's not a hetzer. Now, there are other things which are permitted, but Amir Tashem will leave that for next week. Parshas Chukas is called Parshas Chukas because of the very first mitzvah that the Torah begins, that this parsha begins with. And it's very fascinating when you look at this parsha because it's kind of unique in the, the way that it begins with a mitzvah, but the rest of the parsha is all the events, the stories telling you what happened to the Yisrael in the Midbar as they were approaching Eretz Yisrael. The following parish of Balak is also stories, and the following parish of Pinchas is, begins with stories as well. So this, possibly this mitzvah, Chukas, which is the mitzvah of Paraduma that this parasha begins with, is the only mitzvah in this week's parasha. And it, that's interesting, and it seems that it's setting the tone for the parasha. And if you look at the events in the parasha, you take a step back, and you look at it, give, you know, and, uh, the whole picture, you can make a very interesting observation can be made, and you can understand what the sequence is, why it follows the first mitzvah. So the mitzvah that the parasha begins with is paraduma, a mitzvah which allows us to become pure and tahar from the tuma, which is brought on by a dead person. This mitzvah is referred to as a chaik, chukas atara, parasha's chukas. In this context, the word chaik implies a mitzvah that we do without understanding the reasoning and the purpose of the mitzvah. We do it simply because we're commanded to do it. And Rashi mentions that the nations of the world and the Yitzhara use these mitzvahs as an opportunity to poke fun and to tease Kali Yisrael, asking what's the point of this mitzvah, but we do it nonetheless. Zois chukasatar. That's the first mitzvah in this week's parasha and the only mitzvah in this week's parasha. And then we start with the events. So what are the stories in this week's parasha? The next event in the Pasha is the Chet of Meimariva, the Avera, that Moshe and Aaron committed by hitting the rock and not talking to the rock in order to produce water for Kal Yisrael. And as a result of this sin, they are prevented from entering Eretz Yisrael, something they desperately wanted to do, not for any other reason, just to be able to serve Hashem in the highest fashion possible. The Avera is very puzzling, and many Rishonim try to explain what was done wrong, but as the Ramban introduces the concept, this sin was not explained by the Pasuk. We can speculate, Rishayim can say different Shatim, but the Pasuk does not say what they did. And in essence, it's a mystery. Then the Torah tells us that Kal Yisrael, on its way to enter Eretz Yisrael, needed to pass through the land of Edom, the na- a nation of Asaph's children. They asked permission, promising not to use anything without payment, citing their kinship for your brothers. But Edom refused to let them pass. Kaisrael was forced to circle around the land of Edom. Why didn't they attack Edom? As they did with the next people who refused them entry, Sichain, Oig, 
They stood in their way. They just attacked them, and they went straight through. They marched straight through. But Hashem prevented it. He didn't give them permission. Why? It's not explained in the Psukim here, and Rashi doesn't explain it here, but in Parashat Devarim, the Pasuk explains that the reason is because Hashem bequeathed the land of Edom to the children of Esav. It was their inheritance, seemingly as a part of his promise to Avram that his children will inherit this land. So Esav got a cut. In Parashat Lachlacha, Rashi explains further that the land of Edom will eventually become ours, but only when Mashiach comes. It essentially was meant to be part of Eretz Yisrael, but we don't get it. Then the Torah tells us of how Aaron was Nifter, and he was buried in Har Hahar. Soon after Aaron was Nifter, Klai Yisrael is attacked by Knani Nation, whom Rashi explains is really Amalek. And the reason why they attacked, Rashi explains, is because when Aaron died, the Anani HaKavit disappeared. When the Anani HaKavit disappeared, they were open to attack, and Amalekim, sure enough, attacked them. Now, the Amalekim weren't so successful in their attack, but they were, they had a token success. They had a very infinitesimal success. They captured one maid. That's it. They made off with one maid, a shifcha. But Kaiser was very disturbed by the fact that they had this victory, and they daven to Hashem, who grants them a full victory over them. And they recover the person captured, and they wipe them out and destroy their cities. Then, the next event after this is that Kali Yisrael starts complaining about the mun. And they complain about the fact that they're in a midbar with no other food and water. As punishment, Hashem sends a regiment of snakes who attack Kali Yisrael, and they turn to Moshe and they, ask, they beg forgiveness, and they ask him to daven on their behalf, which he does. And then Hashem tells him to create an image of a snake and place it on a flagpost high up, and whoever gets bitten can gaze upon it and be healed. And Chazal explained that certainly the copper snake didn't heal anyone, but if they gazed upon the snake and they were makabal ol malchashumayim, they took, took to heart their obligation to serve Hashem, then they would be healed. So those are all the events. Those are all the events that follow after the mitzvah of Paraduma. There's the chet of Meriva, Moshe and Aaron sinning. Then they tried to enter Eretz Edom and they were refused. Then Aaron Akayin passes away and Aaron Akavid leaves. Amalek attacks and has a token victory. And then Kali Yisrael complains about the man. They are attacked by snakes and then they have their refua by gazing at a copper snake. If you look at what all these events have in common, they are all things that we don't understand and it's actually, they represent things in our lives that we don't understand, not then and not now either. The parasha begins with the mitzvah of Kukas Atara, the mitzvah of Paraduma, a mitzvah which we don't understand. And it continues to the sin of Moshe and Aaron, which we also don't understand. But you know what it is? It's because we don't understand and we don't appreciate the depth of obligation of service to Hashem. We don't understand what Hashem demands from Sadiqim. Moshe and Aaron, they understood. But we, cannot, we don't understand because we can't possibly begin to understand the depth of obligation to service to Hashem. And then it turns to what Hashem grants us and what He doesn't. And that's also something we don't understand. Why do some people get this and some people get that? Esav doesn't seem to be worthy of getting a whole land. What did he do to deserve it? Kali slaves away for 210 years. And then with this lack of appreciation displayed by the Muraglim, no, they're all sentenced to die in the Midbar. And only the next generation goes into Israel. But Esav, 
He seems to get everything free of charge. That's not fair. Also something we don't understand. And then Aaron dies. Death of tzaddikim is something which is never understood. It's Midas Hadin in its most powerful and pure form. Tzaddikim, they're tzaddikim, it's tzaddik v'raleh. And then Klai Yisrael is attacked by Amalek, who traditionally attacks Klai Yisrael when their emunah is weakened. They only have a symbolic victory. Clearly the purpose isn't to hurt or punish Klai Yisrael, but to transmit a message. Klai Yisrael seems to understand the message and davens to Hashem and are granted a victory. Then Klai Yisrael falters again and they complain about the man. What was their complaint? So Rashi explains. They had a very interesting complaint. Listen to this complaint. They said, how is it possible to eat something and have no need to go to the bathroom? The man was totally absorbed by the body. It had no waste product. And they worried that they would become sick from their inability to expel any waste. Now this is very surprising. They didn't just start eating man yesterday. They had been eating man for 38 years with no ill side effects. What just happened now? Why did they just start complaining about that? So the underlying factor here is an amazing Rashi in Parshas Devarim. Rashi says that if Klal Yisrael would not have sent the Miraglim, they would not have requested to spy out Eretz Yisrael, they would not have any need for weapons when they conquered Eretz Yisrael. They would not have had to lift a sword. They would have fallen without a battle. They basically would have strolled in. In other Swarim it says that if they wouldn't have sent the Miraglim, they would have gotten Edom as well. It would have become theirs. It's only because they needed to fight with weapons that they were prevented from doing so to Edom. Without the Miraglim, they would have strolled in and inherited that land as well. If they wouldn't have sinned with the Miraglim, Moshe Rabbeinu and Aaron Akayin and Miriam would have all entered Eretz Yisrael. They would not have died. The lack of total reliance on Hashem, the lack of willingness to fully put ourselves in Hashem's hand without question, and we wanted to have some control. We wanted to send these spies. We wanted to create tactics. That's what sentenced us to have to fight with weapons and deemed us unworthy of Eretz Edom and caused Moshe Rabbeinu to die. Klai Yisrael chose that because they truly didn't want to be fully reliant on Hashem. They wanted to be in control. They chose to fight with weapons rather than just stroll in and fully rely on Hashem's miraculous intervention. This kernel of lack of amuna progressed in the next generation, and it caused them to lose interest in the man. Man wasn't a food that we could control. Our bodies didn't eat the man and consume it the way they eat normal food. Both in the method that Hashem gave us the man, it fell in Hashemayim, there was nothing we could do to ensure it came, and both the way we lived off it was miraculous. Even the eating wasn't something that we could control. And it wasn't Derech HaTeva. And Klai Yisrael just simply wasn't ready to live like that anymore. So the parashah starts with the mitzvahs which have no reason. It exhorts us to just fully rely on Hashem, not to question, relinquish the need for control. And the parashah demonstrates the extent of how much trust we have to place in Hashem by showing how even Moshe and Aaron somehow deviated, although we can't begin to understand how. The Pasuk in Devarim says clearly that the sin and punishment of Moshe and Aaron was just for the sake of Klai Yisrael, just because of them, because they did the sin of Meraglam, and to teach them. When Aaron died, Klai Yisrael lost some of their trust in Hashem because they didn't see the Ananiah covet anymore. 
In reality, does it make a difference that there's a Nanaya covet there or not? Hashem protects us with or without the Nanaya covet. But when they disappeared, Klai Yisrael faltered. And Amalek came to point that out. But Klai Yisrael strengthened their Amunah, and they dive into Hashem and regained trust. They faltered again by complaining about the Mun. They wanted more control. Hashem commanded that they have to gaze upon a snake and ponder what that means. And the message is clear, as Chazal explained. Snakes don't kill. Although it seems to be a natural event, part of their nature, they bite, it's poisonous, no. If a snake bites, it's because it's been commanded to do so. If it hasn't, it won't. And just as a snake can kill, it can heal, if Hashem desires it to be so. Look at the snake and understand who's in control. The different aspects of the struggle of, with Amuna that Klai shall have in this parsha are what challenge us every day. What do we worry about? Parnasa? How are we going to survive? That's Mun. Safety? That's the Amalekim and the Anani HaKavid. The seemingly unfair world? That's the death of Tzadikim and the inheritance of Edom. And the answer to all that is Zeus Chukas HaTayra. Accept the Chukim. Start to relinquish control. Accept that we have to serve without understanding and hand over the keys to Hashem. And once we do that, None of these things are issues anymore. They're simplified to the greatest extent. We can stroll into Eretz Yisrael and we don't have to lift a finger if we're willing to give that kind of control over to Hashem. Have a good night and a good Shabbos.